Welcome to the Gilbert Journals, where we discuss the lore of the Vampire Diaries universe. I'm Sandile. And I'm Fadzai. And today we're talking about most likely my favorite supernatural archetype in this world. We are talking about witches, sometimes referenced as the most formidable of supernatural beings in this world. Does the text show that? Usually not, but, you know, <laughs> we can't have everything, I suppose. But yeah, I guess, should we just dive into it? We can dive into it. What's, what's the first thing that comes to mind when you think of TVD witches? TVD witches. So, I mean... They're witches. <laughs> Can you tell we're winging this today? Very low energy, <laughs> very chill vibes. My answer would have been black. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's true. That is true. There is an aspect of, especially early on the show, where you sort of think, oh, are witches just black in this universe? And there are upsides to this and downsides in terms of storytelling, but I mean... We could get into it. But for the sake of simplicity, they're witches, as you would expect in any fictional world or even in real life. They perform magic. They are the magic users of the world. I don't think other than the different sort of denominations of witches, which there aren't very many, it is really just them who do magic in this world. They go by different names in different regions, sort of globally. Uh, which seems to be just the English term and the most common term. But there's references in different episodes to like, oh, the the Norse people call them Hexa or something like that, where it's like everybody's got different names to it, but they all do essentially the same thing. This was an interesting thing that I was thinking about. Witches are the oldest supernatural being in this world and seemingly the only one that's naturally occurring. All the other supernatural creatures come to exist as a result of witch magic. At least insofar as we aren't talking about legacies. Yeah, legacies, of course, takes a baseball bat to any sense of <laughs> stricture with the law in this world. But excluding that, so far we've seen vampires born of a witch spell, werewolves born of a witch spell. It doesn't come up in the Vampire Diaries, I don't think, but we know that because of future knowledge. Doppelgangers, well, more a, a side effect of a witch spell. Supernatural hunters, witch spell. It all comes back to magic at the end of the day, and so witches really are it at the beginning. We don't really get an origin for witches in the story, and so I just like to assume that they are naturally occurring. A big thing about witches is that they are beings of nature, they are stewards of nature, and so they respect and uphold what they call the balance of nature. And this is interpreted in many different ways, like throughout the show boy is it <laughs> they really kind of decide on a whim what the balance means but the core tenets of it seem to deal with life and death all things live for a specific time and they die when they should there's an idea of equivalence of energy to achieve something you must give up something very full metal alchemist brotherhood and like a natural order of things in the world of course, this doesn't mean that all witches respect that balance, especially when defying that balance can reap a lot of personal gain for a witch who's willing to do it. 
magic, witchcraft, that's usually the terms that's used to describe what they do. That's just a collection of magical feats. They cast spells, they work rituals, potions, herbs, and salves, that sort of thing. That's less con common than the other two. So there's a full list from the wiki that I'm going to read out to you now that they describe as the different abilities of witches. But I feel like a lot of these are like spells that are done that are then described as a particular type of magic. But I'm just going to go in and then you can uh, agree or disagree as you wish. <laughs> so they list spellcasting, channeling, potion brewing, telekinesis, pain infliction, elemental control, divination, clairvoyance, intuition, premonition, psychometry, projection, transmogrification, it's a $10 word, telepathy, <laughs> possession, illusions, dream manipulation, resurrection. I would say almost all of those fall under the umbrella of spell casting. Right? But <laughs> the potion brewing aside, I will yes. say that witches do seem to have a lot of innate psychic abilities, like extrasensory type of... I mean, they listed premonition divination mm -hmm. clairvoyance and psychometry i would group those all under just like one general seer type thing because one of bonnie's very first abilities is that she could like touch people and just know that they were vampires mm -hmm. and we later on see as the series progresses and as we go into the originals we see other witches that also just seem to have like an innate ability to sense magic phenomena going on around them so yeah i would i would separate that from spell casting but everything else like the pain infliction the telekinesis, which is like fifty percent of what they do, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I would say, yeah, those are those are all spells. <laughs> <laughs> I would agree. It's it's interesting that they've chosen to. I mean, we'll never know who wrote this, but it's interesting that they chose to separate it out. I'm surprised they didn't say like lighting fires because they often do that as well. Elemental control is what they said, so that one oh, they felt. Oh, oh the yes, the, the wind and the flames would be wind yeah, flames. They can sense. move water, but then is the moving of water telekinesis or water? To control questions questions i mean i don't even have any memories of them moving water do they do the they only do that? time i've seen it happen is when they're about to do they call it transmogrification in the wiki i have referred to it in the past as transmutation so typically they'll go here's some water and then turn it to fire often we'll see uh... bonnie throw like a bottle of water or hit a fire hose or something but i think kai yeah. has done it where he's moved the water towards somebody so, okay you know either i mean i think you would be right calling a transmutation transmogrification in fantasy is usually physically transforming living objects or turning a non-living object into a living object or vice versa it's usually not just like random substances so that's what they described it as in the wiki but i couldn't think of at least in the vampire diaries something like that happen i guess you could argue that the werewolf curse and vampirism and maybe even Silas and Amara, the first immortals, were examples of transmogrification. Okay. And also, Bonnie is briefly able to turn Silas into stone. Mm, okay, fair enough. But yeah, that's just the list, essentially, of, of what witchcraft is. Other than having magic, witches are essentially physically equivalent to humans. They don't have any like boost to strength or speed or agility or senses like the vampires and werewolves do. That said, there are, like you said earlier, there are sort of passive magical aspects that can be considered of their biology as witches in a similar way to like 
how other supernatural creatures can just do stuff. One is that witches are immune to vampire compulsion. And like you said, they often have a kind of sixth sense when making contact with supernatural beings, supernatural objects, all those sorts of things. These kind of passive abilities seem to also exist before witches start practicing, when they're still described as like untapped witches before they've done any sort of magic they can just kind of do that inherently yes i think in the very early episodes bonnie is the one who senses darkness around stefan and then later more so damon and damon not being able to compel her is the first time we learn that witches are immune yes yes and once the once the storyline is underway and she's now you know a bit baby witch doing a few spells here and there (laughs) she is able to sense when is it noah or is it ben i always forget which one is which one of anna himbo students <laughs> who's trying to woo her ben mckittrick is the one who's trying to get information out of bonnie so she's able to sense that ben is a vampire just by kissing him she she makes out with him while on a date and then like she has this brief moment of like horror and then she tries to play it cool like i'm just going to the bathroom to powder my nose <laughs> but Ben, ben realizes what's up and he stops her. Like I said, no super speed, no strength. If you're caught fast enough as a witch, it's kind of curtains for you. Although, despite witches having, I guess, mortal lifespans, we have seen several witches who use what they describe as a combination of magic and certain herbs to extend their lifespan. We've seen Gloria, who appears in season three, who Stefan knew in the 20s. It had to be the 20s. It's the Roaring 20s, right? Yeah, it was the 20s, yeah. And she still looks like at most 50. There's also Nandi. So season four, in the sort of expression storyline, we see that Damon knew her as a little girl in the 50s, and she looks like 30-something in present day. So, yeah, not necessarily a commonly used, but possible. It seems the the slowed aging, it depends on who you are and what you're doing, because Gloria looked like she was in her 20s, in the 20s. Mm. And by the 2010s, she's like barely middle aged, whereas Nandi was a little girl in the 1940s. But by the 2010s, she's like a grown woman who's clearly above 30. I guess, you know, some people just got the juice. (laughs) A lot of people have said that I think her name is Jasmine Guy, who plays Grams. Yes. Who, by the way, was in her late 40s when she was cast as the grandmother of a 16-year-old or a 17-year-old girl being played by an actress in her 20s. (laughs) She was like 48. no. So, because, I don't know what they were thinking. I always thought that Grams looked quite young. I was like, listen... I'm black. I have black relatives. I know <laughs> yeah. how slowly we age, but black damn, this woman does not look like she does not look like the grandmother of a teenager. <laughs> <laughs> I never even thought about that. Oh, to be a woman in Hollywood, my goodness. So some people have headcanoned it as, oh no, Grams was also using magic to slow her aging, ah, and that's why she looks so good. <laughs> nice, but but then also I don't know. There's a kind of kooky old lady vibe that they describe of her in the early season where she she talks about her students where she teaches assumedly at Whitmore College though it's not mentioned at that time she says that her her students believe she's this batty old lady who believes in magic and she teaches occult studies so it's like at the very least we're meant to perceive her as an older woman but yeah now that you say it it's like looking at Sheila Bennett I'm just like yeah that's a distinguished gorgeous almost Cheryl Ralph kind of woman because Cheryl Ralph is in her 60s And I wouldn't say Cheryl Ralph was, like, 
anyone's grandmother really until now. So I kind of get it. Yeah, Cheryl does look very good. I would not cast her as the grandmother of a teenager. Yeah. Especially because in Hollywood, teenagers are often played by people who are either just leaving their teens or already in their 20s. Right. So you already look very mature. But yes, um, apart from extending their lives, we also see that some witches find ways to persist beyond death. They find ways to cheat death or to return from death entirely. So uh, a lot of variability with magic. We sometimes talk a lot of shit about... <laughs> we talk shit about the physical aspects of magic in this world that could be a lot better effects-wise and creativity-wise. But what witches get done in this world can be very impressive sometimes. Oh yeah, the, fu the functionality is really, really cool, I will say. I guess we can get into the types of magic. And this is an interesting one because... Obviously, watching the show, there are different types of magic, but this first distinction I want to talk about is one I, I guess, didn't know that these were separate types of magic. I thought that they were different ways to do the same type of magic. I'm just going to say it, and then you can give me your thoughts. Okay. The most standard and ubiquitous kind of magic is described as traditional magic. This is the magic that deals in natural mediums, it draws on the magical power of the witch themselves. And as a result, there's a limit to how much magic a witch can do before they suffer adverse effects. And this can range from fatigue and exhaustion, headaches, nosebleeds, brief periods of unconsciousness. This becomes apparent with Bonnie when she starts to do more magic in the second season. Jeremy, who's become her little helper, is sort of our viewpoint into her magic and how now that her friends are expecting her to do a lot more than what she was doing in season one, kind of levitating feathers and lighting candles, now that she's like doing long-lasting spells, now that she's breaking curses, it's taking a lot out of her and it's having an effect on her body. This limit can be circumvented. There's two big ways. The first one is that witches can channel other witches, combining their magical power to achieve greater feats than they'd be able to on their own. We see this first with Luca Martin in season two, who introduces the concept of channeling to Bonnie. And I would say... Asia in, was it season five when she showed, no, it's season four, when she shows up with her coven of 11 witches to come purge Bonnie of expression. Her conveniently numbered coven. <laughs> exactly. I believe she's channeling her coven in order to achieve that. So that's kind of the first way you can circumvent the limits. The second is that, and this is one that comes up a lot, for big spells and rituals that are typically meant to last longer, a witch will draw power from large natural sources like the sun, the moon, some ancient flora. It, it varies depending on what season we're in. And sometimes, <laughs> <laughs> sometimes they'll tie a spell to a cosmic event like a comet or an eclipse or the Aurora Borealis. Uh, Gemini Coven represent very big into the cosmic side of things. So that's kind of traditional magic that's kind of like the basic magic that you see in the show had you heard the term traditional magic i'll say pre-season five because that's maybe the first time the word itself is floated around i could be wrong but i remember hearing the term traditional magic 
in season four, the very first episode when Elena is in transition. Bonnie is trying to find a way to save her from vampirism, but she's also getting visions of her grandmother being tortured on the other side. Meanwhile, Klaus is in Tyler's body and is demanding Bonnie put him back into his own body. And when Bonnie's like, well, I can't because I'm having difficulty doing magic right now, he threatens to murder Tyler's body while he's in it <laughs> and then just jump into someone else. Yeah. And then Caroline bluffs and says, okay, okay, we'll do it. We just, we just need a little bit of time until Bonnie can get back on traditional magic because the dark magic she used to jump your body is something that you can't do right now. That was the first time I heard traditional magic. Okay. If memory serves. Interesting. I mean, it's obviously existed from, we'll say, episode one, which is the first time we see Bonnie, quote, do magic. It's more passive than active, but still. It's just the term for it comes a lot later on. The second kind of magic, and again, I would have considered this an extension of, like, regular magic but it seems to be differentiated spirit magic okay which exists as a result of the creation of the other side as we've brought up before surely kitsia a powerful witch from ancient greek times creates the other side to sort of filter her ex silas so that he doesn't get to the afterlife to be united with his true love that he wasted her immortality spell on. In intending to just catch Silas from passing into the afterlife, the other side now catches all supernatural beings and sort of keeps them in this... I mean, purgatory is the only way to describe it. So vampires, wolves, witches, I don't think doppelgangers. Well, yeah, because no way to Ta test that. Tatia doesn't seem to be there, but, but we do know that some supernatural creatures are able to just skip the other side entirely. <laughs> Somehow, I mean, the, the rule is supposed to be if you don't have unfinished business, you can just pass on right through. Yes. Or if you finish your business somehow, you get to then leave. Make your way to peace. Esther tells Elena that Jenna was never on the other side because, quote unquote, her soul remained pure. Whatever that means. Whatever that means. It's, it's we can't. There's nothing we can do about that, sadly, even though it really doesn't fit. What we do know is that some supernatural creatures must therefore be able to circumvent going to the other side and just find their way to peace, as it's called in the TVD universe. I mean, the only other option is that Aunt Jenna, like Catherine, just went straight to hell. But obviously that's not what happened. Maybe she went straight to heaven. Maybe. No, wait, I didn't even think about this. Maybe she's an opposite Catherine. Where they went, well, Catherine yes. goes straight to hell, not even the other side. <laughs> Jenna goes straight to heaven. Because what did Jenna ever do to anyone? You yeah. know? Jenna was a post-grad who became a parent to her nephew and niece. Bless. She she did the things. She was she was sweet and too good for this became world. Became a vampire, immediately used her vampirism to try and save her niece, and then died. Like, there's no reason she should suffer. <laughs> <laughs> I guess the only question is, maybe she felt comfortable leaving them with Rick. She's like, even though I'm dead, Rick is there. I can peace out, literally. Maybe, maybe. But also, Elena had asked her to turn off her humanity right before Klaus killed her <gasps> so that she wouldn't be afraid. So it's possible that's why she didn't have unfinished she business. She's like, who? My niece and nephew? Who are they? <laughs> but then why would she get to go to peace? <laughs> no, we have more problems now. We're going to leave it. We're going to leave it. Maybe we'll talk about Jenna another time. Right, because of the other side there are centuries upon centuries of dead witches that exist just beyond the veil, sort of beyond our reality in the mortal world. With a collective wealth of magical knowledge, experience, and power. 
the thing that happens is witches of a bloodline, living and dead, they kind of have this nebulous ability to communicate across the veil. Typically, as the living witch, you have to be in a place that's symbolic of the dead witch's power. This can be a burial ground, a place where they used to live. Uh, but what you need to do is make a connection with them, and then you can draw on their power and their knowledge and achieve magic that you couldn't do by yourself or with traditional magic. This is when we start seeing Bonnie do some big stuff in season two, cause she's drawing on the power of a hundred dead witches. They were all Bennett witches, right? They weren't just random hundred dead witches. Based on what we see in the final season, I think only one of them was definitely a Bennett witch. Oh, interesting. Beatrice Bennett, played by, what is her name? Ross Lynch's ex, what was her <laughs> name? I know who you're talking about, I forget her name though. Jazz Sinclair. Oh, there we go, there we go. She was in Chilling Adventures of Sabrina yes. as Sabrina's bestie, Roz. But yes, she's the Bennett who's linked to the Maxwell family. Yeah, Beatrice was her name. That makes sense because those witches, the hundred dead witches, were just witches who had migrated from Salem to Mystic Falls, but then had got caught in a witch trial anyway? I can't remember what their vibe was. Yeah, actually, I can't remember. Initially, we're told, because obviously these things, they're, they're subject to retroactive continuity, but in season two, when we learn about them, we're told that they were just burned there for witchcraft at some point before Mystic Falls was founded. And then in season eight, we learn that, oh, no, actually, they died because of the whole the devil's magical hellfire bell. And they were trying to stop the fire from destroying the town. So that was actually how they died. And at some point, the history became muddy. And it was like, oh, no, people burned these witches here on purpose. And it was like, no, they actually sacrificed themselves to save this town. Okay, well, I mean, I have nothing to say to that. <laughs> also, uh, yes, while witches are able to channel spirit magic from deceased witches on the other side, the mechanics of how exactly they do that aren't always clear. Mm -mm. But the example of the hundred dead witches, we're told that when a witch dies violently, the spot of her death is marked with like a well of supernatural energy that any witch can draw from. Yes, yes. Uh, that's actually the next point I was going to make is that you can do this with any old dead witch if they have died violently and a supernatural well of their power has been created. Which sadly is most of them. I mean... <laughs> yeah, they, they tend to go out in a blazing glory. Special mention to Esther for dying violently in the same <laughs> spot. <laughs> same hundred foot radius. Oh, bless her heart. I also think that if you have a talisman of a witch, which I guess a talisman is just like an item that a witch had that was identifiable to them and representative of their power. It's not a concept that's hugely explored. It's really just Esther who has that necklace. Emily Bennett had like an amber octagon pendant that either Bonnie or Damon finds in season one, but it ends up with Bonnie. But if you have that talisman, you can kind of, you know, either manipulate magic that they've done or draw on magic in the... It's, again, it's not explored very clearly, very nebulous vibes when it comes to magic. It's vague, but I, I assume that there must be some aspect of their power within the talisman because... Uh... Rebecca is burned while trying to touch Esther's necklace in the flashback to her human days. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't think Ayana was doing that. I think the <laughs> necklace was just enchanted. Uh, I mean, maybe it was Ayana. Maybe Ayana was like, girl, I know <laughs> your mother wouldn't want you touching yours. this. <laughs> Without delving too much into the original stuff, there is a witch who I won't name. There is a witch in the originals who has a pendant 
that is spelled to be able to hold the spirits of anyone who dies as long as they are a blood relative of her. Yeah. So I assume that also counts as a magical talisman. Yeah, I will say it's a shame we're not discussing the originals here because the originals really takes witchcraft to another level. It takes it to a very cool abstract as well in some of the stuff they do with magic there. It's very interesting. Hopefully we get to it in the future as sort of a an updated version of this episode because oh witches get their due sometimes in that show i love it anyway so that's traditional magic spirit magic the next one we encounter is dark magic now in a in a concept that's already nebulous in the show which is magic dark magic is like i don't know but oh boy At its most basic, it's any magic that violates the balance of nature. Of the examples that we see in the show that are described as dark magic, I think the common thread is messing around with life and life force, which kind of tracks with how we described the balance of nature earlier. Things like creating immortal beings, linking the life forces of different beings, wanton harm and murder of mortals. Those sorts of things are essentially what dark magic is associated with. But also, several characters refer to dark magic as a force, quote-unquote, that is tapped into. I don't know how real that is. I'd argue it's better as a description of the acts. Like, there's the acts of dark magic rather than drawing on dark magic because where is this dark magic if nature's not about dark magic and the spirits aren't about dark magic which we see when they punish bonnie for using it it's like okay then where's she pulling from when we briefly and it's it's really only relevant in like the third season after that they don't really talk about dark magic that much but when we briefly discuss dark magic in season three the repeated phrase is oh this magic comes from dark places so uh, whether it's a figure of speech as in you are doing dark acts in order to access and control this power or whether there's a shadow realm in the tvd (laughs) yeah in the the tvd universe there are many planes of existence one of which is hell we find out in the final season so maybe that's where they're drawing it from who knows (laughs) i find hell less likely simply because it's so explicitly like a fiery place so i don't know about hell but it would be interesting if there is like you say a realm out there where there's just darkness waiting to be tapped into that's that would be interesting if they ever said it a shame they didn't explore it. I mean, you mentioned that linking the life force of two living beings is is an example of dark magic. And certainly you would think that with the first example we see where Catherine gets Lucy, yes. Bonnie's distant cousin, to link her to Elena so that any injury Stefan and Damon, who are trying to kill her, inflict on her is inflicted on Elena's far more fragile human body, which seems dark. But we also see later on at the end of that same season, season two, that... Elena is saved from becoming a vampire at the cost of John Gilbert's life, her biological father, because Bonnie repeats an old spell of her ancestors and links John's life to Elena so that when Elena dies, his life force replaces hers. Mm-hmm. That isn't treated as dark magic, yeah. I assume. Is that because Elena had to die and then his existing life force replaced her so the balance is maintained? I guess the balance is maintained there, but I I don't know. I guess because those spells require contract, right? Well, not in the case of Catherine and Elena, but certainly in the case of John and Elena. John volunteers his life in exchange for Elena, so the balance is maintained. I'd like to imagine that if Catherine was harmed and it killed Elena, that there would have been 
consequences for that as dark magic. Because the thing about dark magic is, it exacts a price. Sometimes it seems to be a natural price, sometimes it's nature exacting a punishment, it's not clear all the time. But I'd like to think that if a human who was unwitting to this link died as a result of it, that nature would sit up and be like, what are you doing over there? You know? I don't know. That'd be interesting. Like I said, Elena's body was far more fragile than Catherine. There are many injuries that could have killed Elena that Catherine as a vampire with regenerative powers would have survived. Of course, if they had stayed Catherine through the heart, <laughs> Elena would have died instantly. <laughs> <laughs> so not ideal. But also, to, to keep on sort of the path of linking life forces, Esther does do this to all her children so that if if one original is killed, all of them will die. I don't know if this is described in world as dark magic, but I believe it is dark magic. It probably is. Essentially, everything Esther does <laughs> is dark magic. <laughs> That's what I was gonna say. I'm like, Esther is certainly not above it. Her most popular spell is dark magic. She created the originals. <laughs> Which is something I, I want to get back to when you're done listing the different kinds, because mm. I have questions about the categories in which these magics find themselves sometimes what's said in the show makes it a bit confusing but i'll get to it when you're done with the list for sure for sure i think the only thing about dark magic that remains is that it's sometimes said to have a corruptive effect on the witch and to make the witch kind of lose sense of morality and be willing to go further to get what they want be willing to harm people to achieve whatever magical goals they have but like you said Dark magic is explored so narrowly and so briefly in like season three and then a little bit in season four and then we never touch on it again. Which is a shame yeah. because it's always fun when, when a magic system starts getting into the shadowy dark parts of it that aren't as pretty. But I guess its spiritual successor, um, the darker dark magic, I like to say, expression <laughs> is the next one that comes up. Again, in a similar way to dark magic, it's a little bit nebulous, but my understanding of it is that by forsaking nature and forsaking the spirits and drawing on your own life or power, you are performing expression. It's, it's not very clear because it's being taught by the strange man, Professor Shane, and because we're not privy to a lot of the actual study, we just see a lot of hypnosis sessions and then suddenly bonnie's able to do magic supposedly without drawing on nature and without the help of the spirits and they call that expression what we see as the season progresses is that when the magic requires more power than the witch themselves has it starts to draw on the life force of other people and we see this with Bonnie when she's trying to protect Professor Shane in season four, when he's being attacked by Cole and Rebecca. She does a spell to protect him. It starts to harm April Young, who is just in the room with her. It doesn't seem to be intentional. It just seems to be a natural occurrence of the magic. But as witches who practice expression are kind of off the beaten path in terms of morality, uh, a lot of witches who do expression will actively sacrifice people to fuel their magic. Very often in counts of 12, but like we've said, not terribly clear why that number is important. It's a nice number for sure. It's even. Um, <laughs> it makes the sacrifice more shock and horror. 
what magical reason is, we didn't read the textbook, so we don't know. We do not know. I wonder if, because by the time Bonnie starts to practice expression, April's father, Pastor Young, and the conveniently 11 other people he was with... <laughs> <laughs> have yep. already died. Although, you know what? In his case, he was being manipulated by Shane, so maybe he deliberately invited 11 people over. True. That, that's possible. He has already died, and therefore, one expression sacrifice of 12 has already happened. So I wonder, is it possible that Shane had somehow tricked Bonnie into unwittingly unlocking the power of expression because there was a nearby sacrifice already? And is expression something that Bonnie could have done or could have started like completely independent of any initial sacrifice to get her going. That's interesting. I think we may have touched on this briefly in the Silas episode, but I felt that because what you're what you're describing definitely makes sense. But I felt that based on the magic we see Bonnie do before the April incident, like she seems to have no issue doing magic when she's by herself, and also she does expression magic when she's at the college, whereas the sacrifice was made in Mystic Falls, right? And the college is explicitly outside of Mystic Falls by some time. Yeah. I think that distance would be a factor into whether or not she could tap into it. I think there would be more credit to the idea if she had started learning expression in Mystic Falls. Although, I will say in terms of, of the distance, Bonnie, once the expression is well underway, she still has access to her her increasingly unstable magic when they're all the way on the island later on in the season. Is she channeling the triangle at that point? No, they they don't have the triangle. It's just yeah, the triangle. The triangle is not complete at that point. She she does a locator spell which manifests itself quite differently than usual. Like a whole path of flame snakes its way through the woods, yeah. directing her to the person she's looking for. Then that only lends that only supports the idea that like she's not tapping into. The sacrifice, that's all from her. Okay. And she's just a powerful expression user. Okay, I, I assume the sacrifice was what made you get struck. Because what they, what they tell us about expression is that it, the problem with it is that the magic starts to take on a life of its own. Which we definitely see with Bonnie. She begins to lose control. She's in something of a fugue state for a few episodes. Because once she's purged of the expression, she can't remember what's been going on. Mm. So I just thought that maybe the, the sacrifice was fueling this new type of magic in her and that it wasn't all just coming from her and that's why like there were no more nosebleeds and stuff like that yeah i mean honestly i i don't know i don't know it could be that the sacrifice maybe stabilizes it so that you're not freewheeling you're not in a runaway reaction like she is and so when the triangle's complete everything seems to be stable she's doing a lot of magic a lot of expression magic without having those symptoms. So I could go either way on it. It's not a hill I would die on for sure. <laughs> no, that's true. That's true. Once once the triangle is complete, things seem a lot better. In fact, it's it's when the triangle is incomplete and only two sacrifices have been made that it seems like not completing the triangle would be detrimental to the witch in question. Mm. But then also that could all have just been Silas. So much of that season is Silas manipulating Bonnie and her not knowing what's real and what isn't. True. And so that could just have been him exacerbating her mental state. But that only adds to the mystery of what was happening. Not great for when you're trying to bed down exactly how magic works in a scientific way, but you know. <laughs> you know, it's it's also magic that once again we we 
never see again once the season that deals with it is finished. Yeah, I think even beyond the Vampire Diaries, I can't think of anyone else who uses expression. Yeah. I know people yeah, use never. dark magic for sure, but not expression. Which is a shame. It would have been interesting to see if like maybe Ketsia knew something about it as Bonnie's ancestor and as someone who knew Silas in his like mortal lifespan. Speaking of Silas and Ketsia... The last one that I've sort of noted, and you can tell me if you can think of any other types that are mentioned, is Traveler Magic. Oh, yes. Which is a divergent of traditional magic, I believe, and is specific to a subgroup of which is known as the Travelers. We will put a pin in this one for now because I want to get into this one more so when we start discussing the different types of witches. But it's, it's sort of an offshoot of traditional magic following a very big event that we'll get into. But are there any other kinds of magic you can think of? Season 8 is a little bit strange for me, and because I haven't yet re-watched it in its entirety, I can't quite remember how Bonnie loses her witchcraft for like the third time uh, in yeah. this series. But in that season, when Bonnie is no longer a practicing witch, mm. she unlocks psychic powers. <laughs> like explicitly psychic but not spell casting powers for the first time yeah and when i can't remember who it is but later on another character is asking her like what's going on like because now you're psychic and we know that Cade, who is the devil in this universe was a psychic in his life before he became the devil and they're trying to understand what the connection between Cade and bonnie is and bonnie says well this, this is something that we never see on screen but she says that oh my grams once told me that all witch like magic came from psychic energy and i'm like okay that's cool you've never said that before but okay, okay. and then she goes she goes on to say and before i knew i was a witch i thought that i was psychic which we see in the first few episodes of season one right so the stuff that she does towards the end of season eight when she's now just psychic but not a real witch anymore i guess you could categorize that as its own kind of magic so, okay, I'll, I'll bring this point up because I wanted to talk about psychics later. But now that you mentioned that that explicitly happens with Bonnie, because I forgot about season eight, as I'm sure you know. Psychic, psychicism, psychicism. You've said the noun before and I can't remember. Psychicism? Psychicism. The existence of psychics is, oh man, so, so again, narrow and unexplored. Because if we're including Bonnie, and I wasn't going to until you reminded me what, what happens with her in season eight, there are only three psychics that are discussed in the show. The first being, well, Bonnie, technically, but when they touch on her psychicness in season one, it seems to be implied that it's part of her witchcraft yeah, and not that it's a separate thing. So I do think that's a little bit of retcon when you get to season eight, but that's fine. The second being Silas, whose psychicness is mutually exclusive from his witchcraft. Yes. Right? He is psychic as a result of being immortal or becoming immortal because of the immortality spell. Slash Which is potion. also not explained like, why did he get that power? Whereas, you know, all the powers that the originals have because of Esther's remixed immortality spell, it's like, okay, it was for protection and was for one-upping the werewolves in their human form. But, like, Silas is like, why is he, why is he psychic? <laughs> I, I think it's this... I don't know if Catch-22 is the correct way to describe it, but there's things happening in opposite ways. Because in story, it's that, oh, as a result of immortality, you become psychic. 
And then when Esther remixes the spell to make vampires, they gain vampire compulsion, but not full-on psychic powers. From a writing perspective, it's in the opposite direction of, okay, we've created vampires for the story. Now we are creating this immortal that needs to be a step up from vampires, a step up from even originals. So from compulsion, we now make him a full-blown psychic. I think that's the thing that happens there. And then what's lost in that is, well, why would he become a psychic just as a result of immortality? Not clear. Yeah. We just accept it. Why does he become a psychic but Amara doesn't? Unclear. Maybe because he was a witch and she wasn't? Never explained. I guess if it, if it weren't for the fact that I, because once Silas and the concept of the immortality spell is introduced... I take it, I just take it at face value that, okay, Esther somehow discovered this was a spell and she remixed it and added her own sugar and spice to it. If it weren't for the fact that I then assumed that the ability to compel people that the originals had was based on a slightly weakened version of Silas's incredible psychic powers, where he can like make illusions and control entire crowds without making eye contact and all that, I would assume that silas's psychic powers that amara lacks are a muted version of his witchcraft because witchcraft comes from psychic energy and that in becoming an immortal he lost fully blown like magic spell casting powers but still retains some ability psychic yeah some ability to manipulate psychic energy which presents itself as like charles xavier level telepathy it's a long road but I am a distance walker, so, you know, I guess we'll take it. <laughs> no, but I'm, I'm saying the only problem with that is that if that is true, then how do Esther's children, who on the surface level aren't all witches, but even if you assume that some of them were latent witches, you have to then account for Michael, who can also compel people. How did they all get compulsion when they became original vampires? Yeah, which they have to be witches. There's no way around that i don't think oh well i guess yeah this is the 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 long-standing debate of the fact that they were all turned before they practiced if you ignore the fact that supposedly cole was already practicing at the time it's it's (sighs) cole was already practicing and because of that retcon because it is a retcon i assume that the other children weren't practicing we know that esther and her family clearly had the capacity for having witch children and the fact that finn didn't do magic weird and elijah didn't do magic also weird. and then we get all the all the way down to cole who is like what her her fourth or fifth child and then he does magic it's like well i assume that that means the others either couldn't or just never had any interest in doing it and therefore didn't learn because i don't know which both don't make sense right because rebecca seemed enamored by her mother and ayana's witchcraft so it's like why wouldn't she learn? And so the alternative being that, well, they couldn't, why not? Aren't they? Anyone who's born of a witch becomes either a witch or a siphon. So like... Is that is that explicitly stated in the show? Because even in, I mean, I, I'll have to go back and look at originals, but I don't know if it's explicitly stated that being of a witch bloodline automatically makes you a witch. Yes, we For me, see it a lot. the fact that they never bring up somebody who is of a witch family but isn't a witch means that you must be a witch if you're born into it. They don't, like in Harry Potter, not to invoke Harry Potter, but <laughs> Argus Filch, the janitor, is a squib, which is a person who's born to magical parents but has no magic. It's explicitly addressed. So it's like, 
if that was a concept they wanted to play with, I feel like that's that would have made for a storyline or a, at least a bit character. True. Where it's like, hey, we need a Bennett. We find a Bennett. She has no magic. Yeah, outside of Esther's children, it's certainly treated like having a witch ancestor means you are a witch because even we'll get to travelers in a moment like you say but even with the travelers once it's revealed that Catherine pierce is descended from travelers we uh-huh. learn that she is capable of traveler magic elena as her descendant doesn't really get a chance to do that because she is a vampire at that point and can't do right. any kind of magic but then also the material doesn't note her as a witch which is like i don't know how i because she's <laughs> In her human periods, even if she's untapped, she would still be a witch. It's also strange that Isabel, with her magic obsession, wouldn't have found out that she was descended from travelers and then learned how to do that. Because when we find out that Catherine is a traveler, Catherine's like, oh no, I know. I knew I was a traveler. My father specifically, he he forbade them from doing traveler magic because he was, I guess, a bigot. She said he, he told them it was the devil's work and it was through his bloodline that she was a traveler. So it's just strange that Isabel, who was able to track her own lineage and find Catherine on her own, then didn't find out everything she could about her family, including that she had traveler ancestry. Yeah. Maybe maybe she did. Maybe Isabel was like, listen, I don't care about magic. I just want to have super <laughs> speed and not age. <laughs> I want to be a vampire. Isabel read the Twilight books and said, I have one goal in my life now and I'm going to make it happen. <laughs> the timing is just right. <laughs> I guess. Or given her age, maybe she grew up on Buffy. Who knows? Mm. Oh, I love that better. Oh, good for her. Anyways, we, we're in the weeds now. So Silas is psychic power is explicitly separate from his witchcraft when he is a witch he is not psychic when he becomes immortal and psychic he loses his witch power it's never at the same time so it's treated as separate and then arcadius who is the only one at least before the bonnie stuff that is described as being born a psychic not a witch having full-blown psychic powers he could read minds he had like some empathic ability his dying scream created a hell dimension you know usual psychic things which i'm like i don't know how psychic (laughs) that is that just seems like a spell like how is that different from ketsia creating the other side like (laughs) so that's the thing the wiki said when it was when it was like listing okay psychics were not really sure they were like witches have done comparable things to what psychics do so it's not very clear what the relationship is here i don't know and yeah that's about as much as we can say about psychics i guess if you want to look at it with a scientific mind because arcadius is said to be three thousand years old you could see arcadius who is only three thousand and therefore never stated to be older than the witch species themselves he and any other psychics in existence could be seen as some sort of evolutionary offshoot from witches where they specifically only had the one power, which was psychicism, that that might work. You you do get that in nature where you'll get an evolutionary offshoot that has specific traits, whereas like a common ancestor had that as well as other things. I don't know. I don't know how you how, how you feel about no, that. No, yeah, I like that. I, I think we spoke about in the Esther episode that it's a shame that we don't get witches who are specialized. We have a lot of general witches. And again, this is the thing I like about the originals, where you start getting witches where witches can do magic, like traditional magic, or 
in the originals, it's ancestral magic often. But there are witches who specialize in particular kinds of magic. Oh, yes. And that's something I like in a story. And it's a shame they don't do that in the Vampire Diaries because if Cade was a witch who was specialized in psychic magic and didn't really do other witches, that would be cool. Well, didn't didn't do other witches? <laughs> I didn't do other magic. I knew in my head one of those words was wrong, but I already had forgotten the sentence. <laughs> I, I was like, do we, we don't magic. know if he was doing other witches or not. I mean... <laughs> I mean... Actually... He's this the, the devil, thing. he's Kate not gives- dead. <laughs> Um, pre-death Cade was giving very, like, celibate monk vibes. So I don't know. I don't know why I he get that read off of him. <laughs> nah, he was. He, he seemed, he seemed very zen, very, yeah, like, very moral, very innocent. And then he was clubbed over the head. A shame, because he's, he's devilishly handsome. Oh, but <laughs> Oh, yeah. So you touched on the originals, which is actually a good thing. I don't want to get too much in the originals, but you speak about the kinds of magic that you see in the originals. And in my mind, many of those magics in the Vampire Diaries would check a lot of the boxes for dark magic. Yes. Although they're not called that, they might be. But it leads into my thought on what is spirit magic? Because like you said, <laughs> spirit magic seems to be different from what we've listed as traditional magic and different from dark magic. It's definitely meant to be distinct from dark magic because at the end of season four, when Bonnie accidentally kills herself, she says, oh no, I can bring Jeremy back. I have all the magics. I have the spirits. I have expression. I have darkness. So she's listing dark magic as separate from spirit magic. And yet when the travelers come along and decide that, oh, we want to undo all of this spirit magic that the witches have been practicing for too long that is distinct from our own magic that includes the magic of vampirism which is definitely dark so then suddenly That's spirit magic dark magic <laughs> yeah so then suddenly spirit magic and it, it, it's also lycanthropy because it undoes uh, tyler's werewolf curse it, it suddenly spirit magic becomes this umbrella term for any magic that isn't traveler magic and then i'm like okay what are we doing here because this is like now opposite of what bonnie had told us a season ago yeah i think that with the with the season five traveler stuff that becomes an issue of terminology and so that's what i wanted to get into with the distinction between traditional and spirit magic spirit magic as i understand it the locus of spirit magic is that you are drawing on dead spirits power you are drawing on dead spirits knowledge from your bloodline outside of your bloodline whatever but you're drawing on witches whose spirits linger beyond the veil and you can do great things but also you have to negotiate with these spirits who were once people and have opinions on what it is you do with that magic Usually the spirits will be aligned with you because you're seeking power to maintain the balance. And that could be like fighting off vampires, fighting evil witches, protecting people, like that sort of thing. But we've seen that the spirits have the ability to revoke their lent power when they want to or exert punishment if you misuse it. That's essentially what I understand spirit magic to be. It's the dead spirits of witches lending you their power, their collective power, and then you using it to do like cool shit like rip klaus possessed alaric into pieces because we need to kill klaus (laughs) whereas bonnie by herself would not have been able to do that (sighs) when it gets to so okay let's 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 get into travelers so that we can properly discuss this because i think it's a nomenclature issue but also maybe there's a way to work it okay so types of witches there's again bog standard your traditional witch well 
they don't really separate them into traditional witches and spirit witches. They're just witches, just like general witches. Various origins all over the world, not just in America and Europe like the show would have you believe. And then there are the Travelers. So if you don't know somehow about the Travelers, Ketsia and Silas from ancient Greek times. They keep coming back to them. They're very old witches, so they're important. Create the immortality spell. And when they do this, it creates a divide in their witch community between those who want to follow suit in Ketsia's footsteps and sort of push the boundaries of what magic can do and those who want to maintain convention, respect the balance, all these sorts of like traditional things. Fearing, I guess, the consequences of the more radical witches' actions, the conventional group cursed them to not be able to use traditional magic or be able to gather in community without nature turning on them. And this is in the vein of like biblical catastrophe, like tornadoes, floods, earthquakes. It's kind of insane how hard they went with this curse. <laughs> and so this forces the now known as the travelers well, they become known as travelers because they become nomadic people. They have to always be on the move. They can't stay in one place for too long or bad things happen. Over time, the travelers find a way to perform magic again. They develop this form of, I guess, spirit possession. A traveler will transfer their spirit into a non-traveler using an incantation. They're known in this state as a passenger and they lie dormant like a sleeper agent CIA style until another traveler comes along and wakes them up with a code word. They usually touch the temples or the carotid and jugular and they go, Veet. And then your eyes come back <laughs> and then you come forward. <laughs> any, any, anyone who speaks uh, Czech. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Help us out. But yeah, once passengers are in control of their host bodies, they can gather safely in numbers now because they're not gathering as themselves. They're gathering in these other people's bodies and they can now perform magic. They tend to perform collective magic because a traveler by themselves cannot access traditional magic. The downside to this is that they are much weaker compared to most witches, especially by themselves. The upside though, is that travelers are almost always in great numbers. And so it's really difficult to stop their spells once they've got them going because there's too many witches to take care of. You can only snap so many heads in the 30 <laughs> seconds it takes to get a chart going. Now that you mentioned travelers, you mentioned that when they have passengered themselves into someone and become passengers which ugh julie and co you guys really were lazy with the name Peak like creativity like originals boring but became quite iconic in that oh yes like any vampire myth needs to have like a progenitor of the vampire species because of how vampirism worked it's like this virus like you 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 turn and you change people it spreads so okay fine there would be an original one it became like a proper noun <laughs> it was cool um yeah. even the title of a spin-off series but then we end up with, oh, hunters, even though they're supposed to be supernatural hunters who aren't just regular vampire hunters by profession like Alaric. We get travelers because they didn't want to save a Gisler. Yeah. <laughs> then we get passengers who are travelers inside someone's body. And it's like, come on, guys. There's, there's so many cool terms in fantasy and even words you can take and rework and make your own meanings of them. Like you didn't ever think that maybe something else would sound a little cooler <laughs> more 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 importantly when a traveler is a passenger they can do magic in someone else's body 
even if that person themselves is not a witch at all mm-hmm. which is cool to me i don't really have a comparison that i can think of immediately except that when esther is in rebecca's body yes. who is a vampire though not a human but when esther is in rebecca's body she is explicitly unable to do magic and tells eva Loric that oh i need to go back into my own body in order to cast a spell to make you powerful enough to kill all my children so it's it's cool that travelers are able to circumvent that thing of it's like oh you need to be a magic user in a magic user body to be able to do magic they seemingly are not constrained by that that's interesting to go back to your point on spirit magic versus traditional magic when they start saying spirit magic in season five the travelers seem to be referring to any magic that is not their own any magic that is descended from those people that first cursed them i would say traditional magic spirit magic dark magic as we've described them in this episode would all fall under what the travelers were getting rid of and they couldn't find another term i mean they they do occasionally call it witch magic they they do do that they sometimes call it witch magic but right every now and then they'll just say spirit magic and i'm like well i mean and the thing is with the travelers who often call their own magic pure they're like oh ours is the pure magic with the anti-magic bubble that is created around mystic falls its effects are only ever really seen on vampires because most of the characters in the show are vampires most of the magic in the show is about vampirism so it's their daylight rings it's their undead nature so we don't really get to see it affect which magic that isn't around the very clearly dark magic that made vampires in the first place mm-hmm. that's why it, it roused me the wrong way that they keep saying spirit magic magic where i'm like but you told us spirit magic was something else and vampires <laughs> esther definitely the, the spirits turned on her if i was esther i'd be like oh so now it's spirit magic when i did it a thousand years ago you told me it was dark magic and you cursed me and my family i'd so be annoyed if thing, i was right? esther it's that the term traditional magic was not really used like like you were saying there are like two instances and it starts in like season three season four but it's not like commonly used as a descriptor of magic but spirit magic as a descriptor is easy to reference because witches as we understand them are constantly in communion with the spirits on the other side and usually draw on them to achieve this magic whereas travelers don't have that where the issue comes along is that the reason there are spirits to draw on is because of one of the first even though those two don't identify as travelers it's from kitsia who did the thing that the travelers then wanted to follow in pursuit of so that kind of loses its weight there because it's like the only reason spirit magic exists Again, it's a it's a naming thing. I'm, I'm, as I'm saying it now, I'm like, I'm describing spirit magic mechanically. It's not about the word, so it shouldn't matter. I think it's just a naming issue. I think it's just an, a meta-textual naming issue. It's, it's a plot hole, and it's bad writing, and it <laughs> irritates me because it's like, you can't... It's like if, if the three magics Bonnie mentions just before she dies the first time are like colors, and it's like, look... I have expression, spirits, and darkness. And it's like saying, oh, look, I have red, blue, and yellow. Three distinct colors. You can't then tell me that, oh, by the way, red, blue, and yellow, we can sometimes just call all of these colors red (laughs) and just say (laughs) it falls under the broad umbrella of redness. Because then it's like, but no, they aren't, though. (laughs) (laughs) That's fair. Also, spirit magic in and of itself, it's implied to be these spirits and the existence of these spirits 
like it hinges on the existence of the other side, which isn't very natural in and of itself. But when spirit magic is spoken about in seasons, you know, like two, three, and a little bit four, it's treated like it's natural. It's like, oh, this is the natural magic. This is the opposite of dark magic. This is what you're supposed to be doing. But then when you think about it, like you said, it has to be because of the other side, because where else would these witch spirits be? Even when we get to the originals where we find out there are other planes of existence, they are all constructed planes for the spirits of deceased witches. So it's like, this isn't very natural. How is this the natural magic that's allowed? These witches are hypocrites is what I'm saying. They're hypocrites (laughs) and they're liars. And Esther did not deserve to be punished the way she was. (laughs) (laughs) I believe, and I think I said this in, it might have been the Esther the Silence episode. History is written by the victor. And at the end of the day, the group of witches who curse the travelers and who hold court on the other side are the ones who get to decide what is good and what is bad. Which is why it's a shame we don't explore more of dark magic. Because, yeah, for as much as there is this hazy corruptive effect it's like the only real prices being exacted are by people who are pissed that you're using dark magic and it's like i don't is it really so bad or do you just say it's bad like what's the deal (laughs) i don't think it was intentional on behalf of the writing but i like to read it as it's not so cut and dry it's a bunch of people however many millennia ago who decided our shit is the good shit and woe to anyone else who tries to do something different. That's That's very similar to real life. And indeed, the way witches conduct themselves in this world is very akin to a religious or cultural belief system. So, yeah, it makes sense that they'd be like, oh, this is bad because it is. But when you examine the mechanics of it and you look at it logically, you're like, okay, but why? Even the difference made between dark magic and natural slash spirit magic as far back as season three where it's like, oh, natural magic, it maintains a balance. You know, you're supposed to maintain the balance. Whereas dark magic, it's almost like the price comes independently of you, or rather the, the price comes in spite of you trying to circumvent a price. But then it's like, okay, so then when Bonnie does the spell to try and desiccate Alaric, which she eventually uses on Klaus anyway, her mother is like, oh, but there'll be a price because nature must maintain a balance. So you have to stop a human heart, which is, by the way, what I did when I desiccated Michael decades ago. I, I killed some innocent humans. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, Abby, kind of metal. But when, when Bonnie is doing it to Jeremy, those, those telltale black veins appear on her skin. And it's like, oh, so this is dark magic that she's using to stop his heart. But then if it's dark magic, why is it so important that she stop his heart in the first place like why does she need to look for that balance why can't she just stop klaus's heart and then the price will come later on it's like it's all these things that a character will verbally say is a rule or is a term that is used and then the text will suddenly contradict it later on and they'll be like eh Nobody's going to notice. And I'm like, no, I notice. (laughs) I notice. I'm actually now thinking of, because does Jeremy have the Gilbert ring at that point? He does. He has it on, which is why. So stopping his heart. Yeah. Then you can just bring him back afterwards. But then it's like, would nature have an issue with the Gilbert ring to begin with? Because it keeps someone alive for so long. But I guess because it's protecting you from supernatural death which nature abhors vampires, right? But then it's like, but even witches werewolves. Yeah, even witches and werewolves, if they kill a person with a Gilbert ring, even a doppelganger like Elena, you will come back. Also, the ring can sometimes make you psychotic because it opens you up to darkness and manipulation. So. 
like you're, like we said, this balance of nature is a very flimsy concept sometimes. <laughs> it really is. It really, really is. And especially once you get into the originals uh, spin-off series, which we keep saying we're not going to go into in too much detail, so I won't. But once you get into the originals, <laughs> suddenly the whole, oh, there has to be a price paid if you're not doing natural magic thing doesn't really seem to track. I mean, arguably because we of, don't do that shit yeah. in New Orleans. <laughs> yeah, in New Orleans, it's like, nah, we have a different system here. Like, yeah. <laughs> the school system you learned was, was wrong in Virginia. <laughs> we don't do that shit. <laughs> Black Panther. And we've discussed it because it's an insular community and because they don't deal with other side and all that nonsense. They have their ancestral plane there. They don't have to, I don't think they have to worry about external shit other than the very basic principles of magic. But again, we'll get into it when we do the originals. <laughs> but I think what you said about history being written by the victors and people who win just being allowed to make up rules and then over time that becoming like, oh no, this is the rule because it is inherently good, not just because I decided is, is probably true because the Gemini Coven clearly likes what they do and sees what they do as good and strong and yet their magical inbreeding equivalent has resulted in the creations of siphoners yeah so it's like "Mm, that seems like a consequence that seems like nature wasn't pleased with you yeah seems like you keep violating this balance but um going back to travelers just because i want to hop on travelers for a little bit more i i feel compelled to address because like we always say we probably won't get into the travelers storyline there's just no there's no interesting maybe it'll be touched upon in like some of the more ever-present characters but like i don't feel compelled to discuss marcos and that's the only recognizable character amongst the travelers but that's Poor part marcos. of the issue right so, so it's like so pretty but so boring so boring <laughs> bless your heart the travelers get a raw deal both in the world and in the story because they are done dirty by who become you know witches in present day in such a a drastic and permanent way in the story it's because they get written badly and so they're not very memorable (laughs) (laughs) but there's a part of it that's like the way travelers are portrayed and if you didn't clock it while watching or maybe you weren't aware of the context because we were all young watching this show the travelers are this strange allegory but also not an allegory absolutely not never say that of romani people in our real world and that starts to get iffy when you get into the origins of travelers because like we said the travelers are said to originate in the ancient greece times in ancient greece whereas romani people in real life have a i think a south asian origin a thousand years after the events of kitsia and silas but that's like the smallest, most nitpicky issue. Ketsia, who is South Asian. Ketsia, who is, I mean, the actress is South Asian. Oh, we can't get back into this. But yes, the actress is South Asian. But also it's like, what does that mean then? Because <laughs> no one else amongst the travelers seems to be of any, like, none of them are of like Romani descent. That's not like European Romani or like, I think it's Sinti Romani or Romney Shell. If you look at the travelers in their own bodies, it does seem like they're not all european i do glimpse some poc extras in the background there before they start possessing people even the witch whose boyfriend possesses tyler she is a person of color so that starts getting into things of like 
Are they already passengers when we meet them, or are they all travelers? I think they are all travelers, and they've just, over time, the bloodline has spread to all sorts of ethnic groups, and now, you know, anybody could be a traveler. I mean, after all, they are the sure. travelers. They've been nomadic for 2,000 years. It, it It's not far-fetched to believe that someone could be black but have, like, distant Greek ancestry. Yeah, I'm not here to do blood quantum about Romani people, <laughs> especially when they're not addressed as Romani within the story. I'm not here to do that. Absolutely not. Except by Silas one time, who might have been <laughs> using that word in the way that people use it sometimes when they think it's not specifically for Romani people, but for anyone is who is thing. nomadic. <sighs> but... The way he uses it, because Silas uses the Chisla when he first encounters the Travelers in, in present day. And if you don't know the Chisla, look it up. Because I, even for educational purposes, I don't want to say it. Because I know it's a slur. It rhymes with tipsy. I did learn oh, this wow. week. I said tipsy. It does rhyme Creative. with it. But I did learn this week that apparently there have been Romani people, I think specifically in America. I'm not sure about the rest of the world. But there have been Romani people who are like, yeah, we've never been the biggest the english-speaking world we've never been the biggest fans of this word but please don't hyper fixate on this term when there's actually so many more pressing issues that we wish you would deal yeah. with rather than this word that might not bother some of us that much but i think it's enough to say that if that if anyone in the community has an issue with it then that's enough for people to therefore not not use it. reclamation is always the purview and the right of the marginalized group right us yes. as non-romani people we're not going to decide whether it is or isn't and whether it is or isn't we're not going to use it but silas uses this term in the context because he says the term and then he says oh i'm sorry that's no longer pc you guys like to go by travelers now and i don't think there's a version of that scene that implies that the writers didn't know that the slur refers to Romani people. And I know you argue that they were using it in the sense of just nomadic people. But in that context, people didn't believe it to be a slur. That's true. Specifically when he says that's not PC anymore, that can only be in the context of using the term about a marginalized group. And so that throws into freewheel the reticence to address that the travelers are an allegory for Romani people. Unless, unless Silas <laughs> was like, listen... <laughs> <laughs> Look at me being Silas's advocate. Unless Silas was like, listen, I'm using the word in this way, but I understand that the word in and of itself is now problematic in the 21st century. So I won't use it even though that's not how I meant it. I will call you by your traveler name. It's a lot of legwork for Silas or the writers of the Vampire Diaries. <laughs> or worse still... That slur in the TVD universe was explicitly created for travelers ah! and never the mundane world might have believed them to be since they don't know about witches and witchcraft. No. But that to me, that to me is so much worse. That's so much worse. So all this to say, the portrayal of travelers in this show, I feel personally, I won't speak for you, Fadzai, is problematic just at conception and then also in execution because you've got this idea of these nomadic people and when they gather in a place, bad things happen. And it's like, they're described as cursed by these other witches, but it's like, I don't know how much that matters when you're looking at it as an allegory. You've got them able to do this passenger thing, right? This, this traveler magic that's 
inherently parasitic and the whole thing about the persecution of Romani people, almost similar to the persecution of Jewish people, especially in, in Europe, is of them leeching from the communities that they move into. Of them not being like upstanding citizens of, of society and robbing yeah. and stealing and leaving places worse than when they arrived. There's all these gross Even the, the the deceptive nature of being a passenger like in yes. someone else's body and that being the way that they're able to gather and do the most damage it's like oh this the sneakiness this underhandedness yes. that has often been associated with romani people um and also and also jewish people and also jewish people there is a lot of parallel and crossover with the way jewish people and romani people were treated in europe and also in the americas the way that our main characters talk about the travelers evokes the way that people in real life talk about Romani people to this day. The way that they come to Mystic Falls and take over, <laughs> causing a mass exodus of the people who are living there. Maybe that's the Ooh. part where it's like, doesn't really jive as well because in, in real life, Romani people were pe persecuted, harmed, maimed, killed, ex all, all the bad stuff. It just feels weird. It feels, there's a lot of weird layers to how travelers are portrayed in the show where you can't you can't sit there and go there wasn't some heavy negative bias behind this yeah yeah that's that's all i want i don't know if i was going anywhere with the. i just felt the need to address it while we're discussing travelers and traveler magic and all this stuff that like their text in the show feels so heavily steeped in some negative bias even though the show seems so intent on not actually addressing the connect to Romani people in the origin of the travelers, in the appearance of the travelers, because the travelers seem to be vaguely Eastern European, which I guess in a way, right, kind of tracks. Yeah, I was I was going to say about the Eastern European aspect or Western Asian, depending on how you're looking at it, because Marcos's actor is Armenian and Armenia, I believe, is West Asia. The whole division between what is Western Asia and what is Eastern Europe is is always very nebulous and rooted in whatever group is there is viewing, oh, where, where does the scope of whiteness end and where does the scope yeah. of people of colorness begin and yada yada. But as it stands, Armenia is classified as an Asian nation. So a person of Armenian descent is of Asian descent, which includes the three Kardashian sisters. The Kardashians, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But with the Eastern European, Western Asian aspect of it, I personally, if I were writing a story where I truly felt that I needed to have these displaced nomadic magic users, I would have gone out of my way to make them as not Romani as possible. <laughs> like, as, I would have been like, I would, if, if I had to have them be European, I would have been like, they're from the British Isles. They're Celtic or something they like that. They are Germanic. Yeah. <laughs> to be, to, like, they're from Scandinavia. They worshipped Odin. <laughs> I would have made sure, like, they're all blonde. I would have made sure there's no way that someone could say that. This is the thing. They did root them in ancient Greece, but then at the end of the day went the route of, well, these are these are still Romani people. They're Eastern European. Look, check it out. Which yes, is the Eastern European connection may or may not have been because the writers wanted to tie them to Katerina Petrova and her family, sure. who are explicitly Slavic. So that might have been why they felt like at some point the travelers needed to have been in Eastern Europe in order for Catherine to be descended from them. Just, uh, 
a little bit of sensitivity reading might have helped in sussing the issue with that one. Yeah, I mean, choosing choosing to make the only important traveler a person who is, you know, Armenian and, you know, from, from that, that region of the world that people often associate with Romani mm-hmm. people, like that, you know, it's Western Asia, it's Eastern Europe, that's what people envision when they think. It was probably a bad choice, especially because if you look at the extras and the featured extras, like I said, the travelers come in all sorts of shades. It was like, oh. but also Marcus is supposed to be like one of the older ones. He was on the other side. He had been dead for yeah, centuries. Yeah, it's like why doesn't? How old is Marcus? Do they ever say? Oh, I don't know. Um, they might have said, but I can't remember. They might have said fifteen hundred years old or something. Uh, oh. and I mean, hey, we 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 know the actor is Armenian, but. Mm. All we know of the character is his first name. So maybe he's playing a Greek person. Maybe there were Greek people called Marcos. I don't know. Could be. Who can say? Yeah, I mean, if Joseph Morgan can play a white man with distant Native American ancestry, (laughs) then... (laughs) Ain't that the damn truth? I guess if we if we want to read into characters in the city, it's really hard in the Vampire Diaries because we explicitly and sometimes implicitly see that there are actors whose ethnicity we know who are playing characters yeah. who are not their ethnicity you know michael trevino who is latino but his parents in the show are played by two white people ostensibly white yes we even have ketsia who has this entire hebrew name but is played by a south asian actress so i guess it's fine if we say that fine maybe marcos is not necessarily armenian like his actor. Mm. But yeah, that's, that's I guess, a cap on Travelers. Interesting in concept, execution is not only boring, but also mildly offensive, and there's really not much else boring, to say Boring, mildly about offensive, the and very, a very dull name overall. I'm just like, mm. I feel like in the writing room, y'all were going to use the G-slur, and then someone was like, whoa, 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 no. We, no guys, no, it's 2014, we can't. <laughs> I guess just speed run the rest of them because there's not really much to say that we haven't said on them in past episodes. Siphons, as we know, born different from your typical witches, born without magic of their own or connection to nature, but are born with an ability to suck magic out of regular witches or anything that contains magical energy, objects, supernatural beings, anti-witch magic bubbles made of traveler magic yes long-standing spells that affect the area they can suck those right up it's pretty cool and as a offshoot of that we have heretics as we discussed in our kai episode that just went out and our vampire gilbert journal episode it's when a siphon is bitten by a vampire which is traditionally when turned through the usual vampirism process lose their magic and their connection to nature and just become vampires straight vampires but because siphons don't have magic of their own and don't have that connection they become vampires but keep their ability to siphon and so their vampirism provides them a perpetual source of power and they can just do magic and also be a vampire it's pretty cool it's really cool it's one of the few plot twists that didn't feel like it was spitting in the face of established magical mechanics in this world mm-hmm. siphons and resultantly heretics as only examples in the world seem to have come from the gemini coven it's not explicitly discussed but we constantly maintain that it seems to be as a result of their merging ritual because we don't get siphons or heretics from anywhere else in this world <laughs> And anywhere, unless Legacies has done something, there is never another Siphon or Heretic except for from the Gemini Coven. I wonder if Siphons 
as people who absorb magic and then use it up or even have it leak out of them when they're unconscious, apparently. I wonder if they would be able to use dark magic or expression without the negative consequences that come for regular because witches. Because they're disconnected to nature. Yes. I mean, we have to assume so because Kai goes straight into it. That Sleeping Beauty spell is some dark magic. Oh, uh, yeah, it is. Granted, he dies before any sort of consequence could take hold, <laughs> but I have to imagine that would there would be no issue. I wonder if the Gemini Coven, with their dying breaths, transferring Joe's unborn twins into Caroline's vampire womb counts as dark magic, because that's definitely not natural. <laughs> <laughs> like, forced surrogacy in an immortal, technically sterile being. But what does nature care about the body of a vampire, right? And also, it's two more witches to grow to fruition at the expense of Caroline, who is a vampire. I, I guess, like, nature really has no reason to go and intervene other than... Well, I mean, so this is the thing. We've, the way we've spoken about nature, I've said before in the podcast that I think nature doesn't have wants or morality in the way that we can understand and comprehend as human beings but then also the way i've been talking about it in this episode is starting to feel like nature has an agenda so i don't know how nature would take that the characters themselves speak about nature often like it is this sentient entity they'll be like but that could also just be characters with their own agendas or their own beliefs mm. either lying or repeating and and as people who have been impacted by the resultant consequences yeah. that nature imposes like rebecca when she's telling elena about the origins of her family as the originals she says nature turned against us but she also sometimes says the spirits turned against us and it's like oh nature couldn't stand for klaus being a hybrid because it was this abomination but then it's like but also it was seemingly the spirit magic that esther used to curse him so <laughs> <laughs> you know what i'm wondering now because of the, the, the anti-witch magic slash spirit magic bubble and how it was able to slowly undo certain types of magic, Elena like sticks her head in and tries to get her compulsion undone. And it seems to be working, although at the risk of her, you know, just dying. Um, because of the... <laughs> I'm wondering if... Because that, that bubble could have solved so many problems. I'm wondering if Klaus, season two Klaus, an original vampire with a magically subdued werewolf side, if he had stepped inside that bubble for a few minutes, would it have undone the curse that was keeping oh, his hybrid nature at bay? Because that would have been the most recent magic done on him, so it would have been yeah. undone first. Oh, bless. And he went through so much trouble. <laughs> <laughs> All he had to do was wait a couple seasons. <laughs> Oh, every all everybody had to do was wait a couple of seasons. <laughs> uh, psychics we've already discussed. Unclear whether it's a subset of witchcraft or a separate thing altogether. Stefan mentions psychics at the beginning of season six when he's trying to find a way to bring Bonnie and more importantly to him Damon back from the collapsed other side. He says, "Oh, I've spoken to every witch, every psychic, and every shaman." And it's like, you're now saying that, like, those last two categories are distinct from witches, or at least are a specific type of witch that you've gone out of your way to separate from the regular witches we see. Ah, it's good that you mentioned the other one, which is shaman, which is equally just unexplored, only mentioned in passing. Possibly just a different name for witch from other cultures. If it's its own thing, it's only in 
throwaway lines that that is implied. It seems to be specifically of indigenous North American and South American peoples, because I think it's also in season two when they encounter that girly. She was doing research on the sun and moon curse. Oh, you know who she is? She is Damien Dark's grown-up daughter yes. from <laughs> Legends of Tomorrow. <laughs> yes. Uh, what's her name? Not Ruve. Ruve's his wife. What's his daughter's name? She ends up dating the Atom, uh, Ray Palmer. Which yeah, I that was strange. <laughs> I thought it was cute. It was like, oh, I can resist the dark. Was it? Was it? Was it Nora? Was I think tall. it was Nora Dark. Nora. Nora Dark. Yes, you meet her in season four of Arrow, and she's this cute little like. I don't know, five to ten year old. And then <laughs> you, I panicked for two seconds there. I was like, how old is that child? I don't know. I've, for, I've and, forgotten what she looks like, so I can't help you. Um, <laughs> I, I would definitely be able to tell the difference between a five year old and a ten year old, though. Um, <laughs> she speaks, so you know, she's older than two. As we've stated in other episodes, Sandile has difficulty telling the, the, the age of anyone who's not yet a teenager, but is able to walk and talk. They're just like all under the same umbrella. But then in Legends of Tomorrow, we meet a grown-up version of her who is now a practitioner of dark arts. I think she's drawing on Malice or Malice, the, the demon who's the big... But yes, love that actress. Uh, but she mentions that a shaman in this the story they believe to be true at the time a shaman yeah a, a shaman put a curse on vampires and werewolves to limit their power uh vampires were bound by the sun werewolves were bound to the moon which is why vampires burn in sunlight and werewolves can only turn into their wolf form on a full moon which all turned out to be lies. Right. And that origin was said to be, I think, South American. So it's like they mentioned shaman when they're talking about South American people or when they're talking about indigenous North American people. So it's like, eh, okay, cool. They'll say mystics sometimes. The most noteworthy are the shamans that are in a season seven storyline that I don't want to discuss quite yet because I think we oh, might bring it up later. Oh, yes. That might actually track somewhat because... According to Google, the definition of shamanism is a system of religious practice. Historically, it is often associated with indigenous and tribal societies, like you said, and they believe that shamans, with a connection to the other world, have the power to heal the sick, communicate with spirits, and escort souls of the dead to the afterlife. Which sounds a lot just like regular spirit magic in the TVD universe. I will say I believe the term shaman is one that is associated potentially from, from like the English end. I don't know if it's a word used by indigenous peoples, but I am not an indigenous yeah. person of any America, so... I doubt it is used by indigenous people themselves. It's definitely an English word. Apparently it comes from... The Russian word, which I'm probably going to mispronounce, uh, it, it is spelled S, well, similar to an S, that's not an actual S. <laughs> <laughs> All right. A, an accented-looking S, A-M, accented A-N. So something like Saman, which comes from another word that is spelled similarly, which is from a... I'm not going to try and say that because that's I don't know what that is. But, <laughs> but it's from, wow. it seems to be derived from, from European languages despite the fact that it is often associated with POCs. 
what I've seen in fiction and fantasy is that shaman, when when it's used as a subset of magic user, it's usually magic that associates itself with nature and animals and spirits and healing. Which can get a little bit tropey and somewhat offensive, yeah. especially yeah. when you are not privy to the practices of actual indigenous people. But I digress. Yeah, that's really all there is to witches from a categorization perspective. I guess the only thing I, I wanted to talk about was just like, and this is just more freeform and not necessarily textual, just a read I have on the show, which is of, I guess, like race and gender when it comes to witchcraft, because, yeah, I mean, the gender one is obvious, which is most often we associate with women just like historically and in folklore and whatever and on the whole across the show we more often find female characters well which is then male characters though there are of course male witches there was two seconds where they were trying to push warlock didn't happen we left it one side which i appreciate i i don't mind warlock being used as a term but i i did enjoy having a world where witch was not a gendered term exactly same to same the the race aspect i think i brought up briefly in the jeremy episode because of course in the jeremy episode we'll be talking about barney most of the time but <laughs> the inception of witchcraft in the show being around the bennets and having a lot of the witches you encounter in the past and present be either bennets or somewhat connected to bennets and having them all be black was whether intentional or not, there was an interesting part of it that's like, so often you think of witches in media and in history, you're thinking of, even when you think Salem witch trials, you're thinking about white women who were executed. When you think of witchcraft in Europe, you're thinking about white women who were executed, which in itself, right, is a, a commentary on society at the time and women standing in society. But I feel like there's an unintended intersectionality that the vampire diaries had and i say unintended in capitals in italics with asterisks on either side because i don't think they were trying to do it but the highlighting of black women having such power in the show and still sort of navigating the dynamics of that the the navigating of emily bennett was so powerful she was at the end of the day catherine's handmaiden Barney is so powerful, she's always serving her friend's needs, her white friend's needs. As much as it was an uncomfy dynamic for those who clocked it, it was an interesting dynamic and it spoke on the issues of like race and less so class because you don't get the sense that the Bennets are not in good standing in this town. Like you said in the earlier episodes, they were even more so than like the Donovans. Yeah. But it just made for an interesting commentary. And it sort of loses that when you get past those first two seasons after the Bennets and the Martins and whatever and Ciliary Black Witches, when you start seeing more white witches come up and it's like, oh, okay, so it's just... It just so happens for this early time. It's stranger then that in a town in Virginia that we were running into a lot of black witches, but witchcraft isn't just practiced by black people. It's strange. Right? It them is. Being it the is. one black family are the ones who are witches and there were no others within like a hundred mile radius. So that I find interesting. I mean, when I was watching the show initially, I, I honestly read it as, okay, all these witches are black. This is clearly a choice. We get... I always forget what her name is. Gina Torres' character. Yes! Uh, um, Brie. I also forget We get, we get Brie. Yes, it's Brie. 
we get we get Bree. We get Gloria at some point. We, we we get Bree, we get Gloria, we get Nandi, all of whom are not related to the Minute Witches as far as we can tell, but are all black. We get the Martins, who are also black. And I, I just thought to myself, in America, where I'm sure especially American writers and more so white American writers. Yes. I'm sure they are aware that black people are a minority. It's often the excuse they use when they create characters as white by default that, oh, our nation is mostly white people. So to then have all these witches, and very rarely vampires at that point, have all these witches who are always black people, it really seemed like an intentional thing. And I don't know what the intention was, and maybe behind the scenes it changed, and then they decided no. But I, it's hard to pin down because if they wanted to, it to be a thing of, oh, like witches are a species or a specific bloodline and that bloodline originated in Africa, one might suspect that the change in that thought came when they decided to make the original's mother a witch because they are all white. Yeah. Um, but the first white witch actually introduced in the show is Maddox, the, the male witch who's working for Klaus. So then that might throw a wrench in the, oh, you only change it because you wanted Esther to be a witch theory. It's just, yeah. I, I would love to know what the, what the reason was, and we'll never get an answer because they're not going to tell us, but there has to have been a reason. It couldn't just be a coincidence. Because it does become the thing of, even from the get-go, when they're practicing magic, the spells, right? Which I, oh, I meant to mention earlier that like when they do incantations and stuff, there is this magical language they use that they say is not Latin, but is very clearly rooted in Latin, like phrases or words or word stems. And... It's interesting that despite up until, like you say, maybe halfway through season two when Maddox pops up, every witch we meet is black, that they would do a Latin origin when it's like the vibe you assume they're going for, they're in the South, black people are witches, you think they'd go the root work route, you think they'd go the hoodoo or voodoo route, you think they'd go the out from Africa route, which has its own problems to negotiate when you're writing black people and magic but it's interesting that they went the Latin and then subsequently Greek route of it. Like you say, we'd never, we wouldn't be able to get an answer, but it's just like such a fascinating road that it took. We can only speculate. Uh, Bonnie, when she first finds out she's a witch, her grams tells her that, oh, we're descended from this large group of witches that emigrated down south from the Salem area during the witch trials. And when Bonnie expresses interest in that and was like oh so the girls at salem that was like a real thing and her grandmother tells her oh no no the girls who died at salem they were all innocent those were just ordinary human girls who weren't witches <laughs> the ones who absconded after the fact were actual witch families who were like we gotta get while the getting's good yeah maybe in the writer's minds it was, and now that I'm thinking about this, this might have also come across a uh, very, very <laughs> weird handling of POC characters when you're dealing with this show. As they tend to. But maybe in the writer's minds, it was a thing of like, oh, these, these unnoticeable black people who were actually witches managed to slip away while all the focus was on these white people who, who don't have that power. But the black people were like, oh, because, because no one's paying attention to us, let's run away. I mean... Tichuba was also a real-life person who was a That's person was of color and was up. in trouble. Yeah, yeah, who was in trouble at the, the Salem witch trials. But 
she's usually brought up as the only one which might be poor recording of the history of black people Uh but might also be because she was the only person of color who got in trouble when all that was going down i'm not sure but it because of the whole salem thing and the whole oh our ancestors and not just bennett's but she said like a lot of other witch families were around salem at that point then ran away after the witch trials or during the witch trials and in the season where that mentions, that's when we see all these black witches who don't seem to be related to Bonnie. It makes me think that, were you trying to go for a thing of like, it was specifically black people who fled Salem or the area around Salem during the witch trials and came to Virginia of all places. Wild choice. <laughs> wrong direction, my girls. Why weren't the spirits speaking to y'all? They sent y'all the wrong way. They really did. But like, even even with the speculation around that, right, you see how this forms a very interesting and rich backstory if witches continue to be portrayed as like basically exclusively black. So I don't know. It's, it's obviously that would be restrictive, especially like you say, in a show where characters are portrayed as default white. So when a big powerful character comes along, the assumption is they'll be white. Of the big powerful characters, right? Your Esther, Silas, Kai, all the powerful characters are white. And all of Esther's children who are her biological children. And if she was black, they'd have to be at least biracial. Imagine if the originals were black. That would have been so bold. God, that would have been so interesting. This is again the, I hate to always harp on the Esther issue. I'm always going on about Esther being the original witch. But it's like the standing that is then achieved by Esther as the quote original witch, regardless of whether anyone actually believed that the implication was she was the first which she has grandeur now her children have grandeur as the original vampires and it's this white family this european scandinavian family <laughs> that's now sort of on the <laughs> pedestal in the supernatural world when from the get-go of the show we had started out with this black family that was in some grandstanding at least in the area that they lived it's just it really throws a wrench in the works of what could have been a great exploration of race and power within the supernatural world. Yeah, it might have even been more interesting to see if if Esther was indeed a black character, but Michael remained European. It would have been maybe an interesting read that, oh, they fled the place they were living in as this mixed family, which would have been quite atypical at the time, Uh and went to a new place to try and build a life for themselves among people who were neither white nor black. Yep. And to see how that feeds into it. Then she had a child with a native man. I mean, then it starts to get a bit murky. But <laughs> it starts to get a little bit weird. But that's that's easier to navigate when all the actors you're casting are people of color. <laughs> right? Yes. It's just like yes, it is. standard white people. But like how bold and how interesting it would have been for the originals to be at least in part black. Oh, that would have been in, that would have been fascinating, especially navigating a thousand years of mm. immortality, but also superpowers in a world that is very much white supremacist. The regime of race relations is constantly changing, typically for the worse for people who look like you. Yeah, and then you know it would have made Klaus's savior of Marcel read a lot differently <laughs> than oh look at Klaus being a white savior. It would have been like I understand you, I see you, brother. Oh. <laughs> I would care so much for Klaus Marcel if that were the case because it absolutely reads like white saviorism. This black child I adopted and then throw away at the first chance that I have to like run away from my own problems. (laughs) It's like, did you really help him at all? I don't know. 
You taught him some music and some French to feel better about yourself. And even that your brother did. What did you teach him? Anyway, I'm not here to talk about class myself. <laughs> we'll, we'll get there one day. Yeah, oh, but that dynamic would be so much more just rich if the originals were also people of color. Oh, man. I didn't think that's where we'd get with this, but I mean, that's that's kind of why I wanted to bring it up. It opens up a lot of interesting avenues when you start exploring race explicitly in the text. Even the idea that Esther ended up turning her kids into a plague upon humanity, and it's like, ooh, <sighs> what, like, if, if witches are all black, and then these biracial, possibly <laughs> witch children get turned into vampires, and they're like a curse on the earth, it's like, hmm, that might read as a little bit messy. At least we would see it as the the witches with their own agenda being a little bit hypocritical because i mean the witches were like oh klaus is half werewolf half vampire he's a problem let's curse him but i look at it and i'm like was klaus any more of a problem than the rest of his siblings and his right. dad at that point like y'all were all dangerous why did he only <laughs> get punished <laughs> all he had was an extra set of fags and it's like i don't that's only dangerous to the abominations you already hate who cares <laughs> discussed in the esther episode the whole oh esther's the original witch witch of the original family thing but then people reading that as oh she's the first witch even though i don't think that that's something that if you've been paying attention you could have believed but some people don't pay attention so that's fine (laughs) (laughs) that's the truth i i think the oldest witch we ever encounter is ketsia yeah ketsia at at 2000 yeah and she's the origin of the bennett bloodline so that's see that even that too is like Katsia being the origin of the magic now makes the Bennett's blackness just like an additive. It's no longer inherent to the magic the way it kind of was in the earlier seasons. Because then that means the magic traveled down from Katsia's bloodline, and then at some point in history, someone got with a black person and then had they could have more than one ancestor who is a witch. That's true. That's true. But the line they seem to track back as the Bennett bloodline goes to Katsia. I don't think we've gotten. I don't many... know because we have this. We've discussed this before. I don't mm. know if they explicitly say that you know if you follow Bonnie's ancestry through Grams, then Emily, then the Witch of the Five, then Ayana, and then Katsia. I don't know if those people are all related to each other. They might all be related to Bonnie. But you can I have would different have to ancestors. assume they have to be. It can't be that Bonnie's the locust because Ketsia and the Witch of the Five and Ayana and Bonnie at the very least and Emily, those five have to be in the same branch because there are links between them in terms of the magic they do. Between Ketsia and the Witch of the Five, between the Witch of the Five and Ayana and then... From Bonnie to Emily, maybe that middle is there's a gap with with Emily and then Ayana. But like, if they were all separate branches, they wouldn't be this gravitas and this emphasis on the Bennett bloodline. I always assumed the Bennetts were important because they were descended from Ayana. I just didn't necessarily know that that importance was also about Ayana being descended from Ketsia. I thought it possible. I mean, I, I initially when I watched the show, that is how I read it. I read them as sure. all one direct bloodline. But later on, I was like, I mean, it's not explicitly stated. It's possible that you could say that Ayana is like maybe a maternal ancestor of Emily, whereas Ketsia is like a paternal ancestor of Emily. 
in which case, yes, Bonnie is descended from both those people, but those people aren't related to each other. Ayana but and then Tetsia in that example. case, when we talk about Bennett blood, if those are different branches of the family, then only one of those branches should work. I guess, but I mean, Emily lived in the 19th century, so by the time we get to the 2010s, uh, <laughs> maybe she's the only Bennett left. I don't <laughs> so, know. <laughs> this is the thing. Kai, and we didn't know in the last episode, so I cut it out, but Kai uses Ketsia's blood to get out of the Aurora Borealis 1903 prison world. And that supposedly counts as Bennett blood. Oh, well, if it stretches back that far. Right. It's got to be a long ass branch that's all like the same bloodline. I guess. See, that's, that's why before I used to just assume Ketsia was meant to be black. And then I found out <laughs> the, the actress is South Asian. And I was like, oh, okay, well, if you're going back 2,000 years, a lot of people would find ancestors who are completely different ethnicities true, than they true. are. I don't know. It's 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 all very speculative anyway. So we're It's not giving the Cleopatra answer. debate. <laughs> <laughs> Which is funny because she dresses up as Cleopatra in that one party. So. She does! Oh my gosh! Mm-hmm. What were you implying? Because I believed, even though the actress is South Asian, I believe that Ketsia was of North African descent. Again, same with Cade who was a dark-skinned man in ancient Greece, even a thousand years before her. Greece, Italy, that whole Mediterranean region, the north of Africa is, like, right there. So, not unthinkable. Yeah, there was, in real life, there was a lot of intermingling between southern Europe, northern Africa, and that, like, Arab peninsula. Who knows? Especially because the characters are all named so bizarrely. Like, Ketsia. I I don't know why they chose the name Ketsia. It's a really cool name, but... when it comes from a specific culture it's like okay so did her parents just like meet a person who knew hebrew once in their lives and this person (laughs) told them a name and they were like i like that name i'll name my daughter that one day (laughs) maybe she's mixed maybe she has like a, a traditionally greek parent and she just has her ancestry from whoever the other parent was that came from shores beyond Maybe. Maybe she's part Greek, part South Asian, yeah. part Jewish. The original mixed girly, torn between two worlds, <laughs> a foot okay, in well. two doorways. No, that's that's Amara. She's the anchor who's torn <laughs> between two worlds. <laughs> and on that note, I don't think we can go any higher than that. We can't. I think we can wrap this one up. As I've often quipped in previous episodes, I while the magic in Vampire Diaries is impressive in what it's able to accomplish in in its functionality, like, oh, you can you can curse an entire bloodline. You can seal someone inside a house. You can create a whole prison world that traps someone in a loop of one day but replicates every object on Earth, including magical ones. <laughs> yeah. But when it comes to the spectacle of the magic, um, in a show where you get to see vampires zipping around at super speed and, you know, having veiny bloodshot eyes and you sort of glimpse werewolves shapeshifting, it is a pity that the witch magic is not as much of a visual spectacle. Like, you, you often just see wind and flames or telekinetic attacks or making characters bleed from the eyes or mouth or whatever. And I'm like, it, it would have been cooler, especially as the witches get more and more and more powerful. We meet... Like, I think probably the coolest thing, one of the coolest visual things I saw in Vampire Diaries, not not touching on the originals, was K 
Ketsia making those blue flames along the wall while she's yeah. talking to Stefan. That looked really cool. Oh, stunning. Goes along the wainscoting. It's so beautiful. Yeah, and I'm like, I just, I wish that we could have gotten more interesting, more unique looking spells. It's a criticism that's often given to the Harry Potter movies, where if you read the books, there's a lot of different spells, but in the movies, it's always just these jets of light being blasted at Bright people beams, that all look yeah. the same. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas in Vampire Diaries, I'm like, why couldn't we get, like, you know, this witch cast a spell that looks like, I don't know, electricity, or another witch cast a spell that exsanguinates someone, or another witch makes fines come out of the ground and, like, hold on to something. Like, like I, I know that there are budgetary constraints and special effects or whatever, but when, when, when witches are such a major part of your plot, and especially when you keep introducing new witches that are meant to be even more powerful than the ones you've seen before, when all of the magic we're seeing is very much like, you know, just actors being thrown around... <laughs> by unseen forces <laughs> or objects being enchanted with magic that we can't physically perceive, it does get a little dull for me. Yeah. I understand the need to create a visual language right within your show uh, because even in the originals, the originals tends to, like I said, because the magic goes more abstract, they do a lot of similar stuff to the Vampire Diaries, but they play a lot with what you're seeing on screen to give the effect yeah. of what magic's going on. It's a lot of shake of camera, it's a lot of filter, it's a lot of haziness, and they use it in different combinations to give you an effect of what's happening, and that becomes their visual language of magic within the show. But yeah, it becomes tough when you're only doing like three different things over the course of eight seasons, and you don't get to see something cool. Whereas like Buffy was a show from the 90s and then into the early 2000s, and while boy does it show that the special effects were not that great back in the day and that they probably had budgetary constraints, they still they had a lot it. of magic. They have two main characters who are witches at a certain point of the show. And they, you, you get to see magic. You get to see a lot of stuff. It's like, it's not just telekinesis. It's, it's stuff that is like, yeah, I can see this is fake, but at least you are trying to show that witches are not casting the same three spells every time they appear on screen. <laughs> yeah, you see portals, you see blasts, you see a lot of really cool, vibrant stuff is what I would say. They go for the color in that show. I'll also bring yeah. up another late 90s, early 2000s show, which is Charmed, which to the defense of the Rabbi Diaries, that show is entirely focused on witchcraft and magic. And so its budget is pretty much all how are we getting this magic or these demons or whatever we're doing that episode to come across the screen. Their magic, I thought, also looked really cool. They would rely a lot on, like, smokes and stuff, especially when they were throwing potions. And also their standard powers, each of the three main characters had standard powers. They had a very standard appearance. But when they would do combined powers, when they would use their Charmed One powers or when they would combine and create a spell, that would have a particular effect and would look cool. I mean, you mentioned Charmed. I always thought that Piper's freezing power looked really good for a 1990s effect. I like, would it have been so hard to do something similar on the Vampire Diaries? <laughs> like, her freezing and her exploding when she ends up doing exploding powers was always cool. Pyromancy, I remember someone gains at some point. That also looked cool. Someone used ice at some point. The white lighter powers looked really cool. The orbs, they were bright blue orbs. Like, they played around yeah, a lot. Yeah, imagine if Bonnie could teleport in a world where a lot of her allies and enemies have super speed. Being able to at least to counteract that with your own ability to move really quickly would have been cool. I get that maybe stylistically in the show they were like, oh no, this would look a little too camp 
this would look We're a little trying too to ground it for whatever reason i'm like yeah it's fine it's just that when you keep trying to up the ante with your magic but you're not showing me anything you're just telling me how people feel <laughs> about things yeah. we're just taking a lot <laughs> on faith and we're seeing invisible things happen it's like yeah okay cool he's having a magic headache i get it yeah like a, a, a scene that comes to mind is when emotionless elena attacks and tries to kill bonnie whose expression is firing on all cylinders at that point and Bonnie kicks her ass, but all she really does is, like, crack a few of Elena's bones and make her bleed from the mouth. And it's like, oh, Bonnie's so powerful. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, but we've seen people do this before who aren't at this level of power. There's a lot of exploding lights around, and it's like, yeah, lights kind of do that all the time with witches, though. There's a lot of wind going around. Yeah, Esther does that all the time. It's like, it's all the same tricks. Yeah, it sucks. Also, Kai, because we I've got Kai on the mind from last episode, turning Elena's blood to acid. It's like, oh, okay, great. A thing we would never be able to see happen. And we have to rely yeah. on the sound cue. We have to rely oh, on the sound cue of the acid burning. That would have been inside. nice to see. Like her blood <laughs> turning into acid. Shows me some green her on flesh. her arms where the veins are. Like, come <laughs> on, guys. <laughs> I don't know. I think if they cared about magic just a little bit more than as a tool to fix vampire problems within the story, it could be a lot, lot, lot more interesting. That is a very good point. That is probably the major issue with the way magic and witches are treated in the Vampire Diaries. It's often just a way of getting out of whatever corner they've written themselves into or writing something interesting for the plot and being like, a witch did it. That's why this is a, this complex mess and a witch can undo it. And that witch will be Bonnie because Bonnie she's always Bennett. related to whatever bloodline this curse is sealed in. <laughs> God damn it. But yes, we started with the Bennets and we're ending with the Bennets. Um, that is all for our witch episode. But if you have any questions or thoughts, you can mail us at animalattackpod at gmail.com. You can also tweet us at anim attack pod that's at a-n-i-m attack pod you will find our link tree in the bio there it has all our online stuff if you're listening to us on like spotify or apple Podcasts or something to that effect uh give us a rating i've heard that does good things in terms of sending us out into the feed and having other people find us and listen to us so give us a five star tell us what you think and yeah We'll see you in the next episode. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers.